As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Welcome to Brothers in Arms, brought to you by Catholic Men for Jesus Christ, with your hosts, George Rose and Bill Maher. Stay tuned as George, Bill, and their guests discuss topics relevant to Catholic men living out their faith in today's challenging world. And now, here are the hosts of Brothers in Arms, George Rose and Bill Maher. Well, good morning and good afternoon, my brothers out there. And good as evening, we, all yes, at the same time, all, Billy. We're bringing it all to you as you drive home <laughs> from work. Uh, or actually, that, that actually is, you're social distancing. You're not at work right now. Honestly, that is how the days feel to me right now. Good morning, <laughs> good afternoon, and good evening. You know, I can't keep track of anything, but it is great to be back with you guys here on April 3rd and 2020. Sort of a rain, rainy, gloomy foreshadowing of of any time you turn the news on, <laughs> which is never very positive. So hopefully yeah. hopefully we can lift you up here uh, with the good news of the gospel and this Brothers in Arms as we, we reach out to, through the highways and byways of this wonderful state of New Jersey, Eastern PA as well, and yeah. the beleaguered New York. Yeah, well, a lot's happened since uh, our last show, which was the, the first Friday back in... Um March, right, Billy? What a what a difference uh, a, a week, a couple of weeks, a month makes. It does, it does, and, and and it's even. I feel it even in the studio as George is normally like to the next seat over, but for whatever <laughs> reason that mic's not working. We think that the health inspector in Trenton came in here and shut down the middle mic, so now we have a a good six feet away from each other as you're on mic three. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> we are. We are practicing social distancing in case anybody was wondering. <laughs> I don't know if it was by choice, but it's certainly in, in, into effect, I should say. Yeah. So anyway, we're, we're hoping that everyone is safe and sound uh, back at home. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of good that, that could come out of this as well. I mean, this is an opportunity to reconnect with family, um, reconnect with prayer. You know, the churches in the Diocese of Trenton, at least, have all been closed. So you cannot go to a church. So, you know, you have to bring out your inner monk in these moments and, uh, you know, start start redeveloping your, your devotional life, I guess. Yeah. And, and the risk game and uh, diplomacy. We've been uh, playing a little diplomacy in my house. Oh, uh, we've been playing Catan. Uh, we got this game by Larry Harris called War Room. It's it's literally the, the coolest simulation of world war ii it takes like six hours to play but we got six hours so that's the one that takes up your whole uh, dining room table it's awesome yeah, it's awesome cool. plus so many other games we have as well we're a board game family are you we nice. are well we have the numbers you know that's we, true we got the numbers there's always enough if, if half of you don't want to play you still have more than <laughs> that's enough. exactly right so it's perfect timing for us it's all good stuff but anyway so every um month we start with a saint but we we're, do we're, we're sort of um we're sort of being a little creative uh, this month. Uh, we'll, we'll put it this way. The saint slash saints of the month are St. George, April, and his 14 holy helpers, which were the classic plague saints of the Black Plague. So, George, Yeah, yeah, Billy, he's, um, he is one of the 14 holy yes, he helpers. So, uh, and I had honestly, personally, had never heard of the 14 holy helpers until you suggested it a couple nights ago. And um, it's like bringing out the... Uh, uh, murderers Row from the Yankees, <laughs> right? The 19, 1927 Yankees uh, hitting lineup. Uh, it's an all-star lineup of saints, and and uh, the fourteen holy helpers. It's a group of saints that are venerated together uh, because their intercession is believed to be particularly effective, especially against various diseases. 
the feast day for the Holy Helpers, uh, the 14 Holy Helpers, is August 8th, which is celebrated locally, I think, depending on your, your, di- your country and your diocese. But the devotion started in Germany in the 14th century, and it was largely as a result of the bubonic uh, plague, or the Black Death, as they called it. Um, and uh, they were called Nothelfer in German, which means helpers in need. And, I, you know, I didn't—you hear about the Black Plague, uh, the Black Death, Billy, and it's stunning just to read the numbers uh, again that 50 million people died in a three-year period. This is in the, in the thir- late 1300s. 50 million people died, which at the time was 60% of the world's population. I mean, mm. that's crazy. Um, half the world died at that time. So it's crazy. Coronavirus is bad, but it's not that bad. What, let's name them. How about we name some of these things? Yeah, Just absolutely. You know. Yeah, there's 14. So I got a little, uh, uh, a little uh, write-up on each one of them. St. Christopher and St. Giles, mm. who were invoked against the plague itself. St. Dennis uh, was prayed to for relief from headaches. St. Blaise, of course, for ills of the throat. St. Elmo for abdominal maladies, St. Barbara for fever, yep. St. Vitus against epilepsy, St. Pantaleon, the patron of physicians, St. Syriacus invoked against temptation on the deathbed, and Saints Christopher, Barbara, and Catherine for protection against a sudden and unprovided for death. Uh, St. Giles was also prayed to for a good confession. Uh, St. Eustace as a healer of family troubles, Domestic animals were also attacked by the plague, and so Saints George, Elmo, Pantaleon, and Vitus were invoked for their protection. And St. Margaret of Antioch is the patron of safe childbirth. So, I mean, it's... St. Agathius for headaches as well. Oh, okay. Did I miss that one? Or maybe that wasn't written here. But, uh, yeah, and and each of them, of course, have their own feast days uh, throughout the year. Um, as you said, St. George, his feast day is April 23rd this month. Uh, you know, we can also pray to him uh, uh, for, uh, the, well, against her diseases, and he's the patron of soldiers as well. And there's a lot of soldiers in the healthcare worker field out there right now fighting this virus. I think it would be more than acceptable to pray uh, to St. George for them. You know, another one, uh, St. Syriacus, uh, is against temptation on the deathbed. So, that, there's a segue with, with that particular saint and that particular uh, cause because with the churches being closed, getting to a confession is not such an easy thing, right? Um, we don't know if you're even going to be able to get to a confession, but the Pope did make a statement on March 20th in, invoking from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, 1452, where he basically is, is charging the faithful that if you have a serious sin, you go to God directly, do an act of contrition, mention obviously what your sins are uh, with a sincere heart, with and also the sincere intention of going to confession as soon as you can. With that, the Pope is assuring you that you will be restored to a state of grace. So um, remember, God is outside of time. So he sees that, that act of confession that you are going to make or would what would make if you had the opportunity to. And this is, a, I believe, where the Pope's going with that. So that. So rest assured. You know, be faithful, pray. Again, this is an amazing opportunity to invoke these amazing saints and also just develop a, a greater relationship with God. Yeah, well said, Billy. And uh, I was lucky enough last Saturday, uh, my local parish in uh, Pennsylvania was open, so I was able to go to confession. But I did not know about uh, 
this that, that the Pope said said that. So that's uh, that's that's pretty neat. Very cool. Because I know a lot a lot of people out there right now are um, upset that they can't go to church. They can't receive the Eucharist. It's difficult difficult to receive the sacraments right now in general. And uh, I know uh, some people have been petitioning the archbishops or the bishops to open the churches. You know, like and, and you mentioned it. Uh, or Mr. Producer did before the show started that, right, we can go to Wawa. The parking lot at the Wawa is packed. <laughs> we can get coffee there, but we can't get the Eucharist. Which is more life-sustaining for a Catholic, <laughs> you know, Wawa or the Eucharist? But, you know, I, I say that a little bit um, tongue-in-cheek because we, we know the reasons we can't go to a church, uh, you, you know, and they're, and they're good. Um, and But... It's still very difficult for a lot of people right now. Yeah, there's, there's also pray for your priests, too, because there's a whole other side to this. Uh, you know, the, the population of priests, if you were to do an average age, they're not exactly on the young side. So mm. remember that that a lot of them are in the demographic that are at highest risks for this virus. We'll talk a little bit about the virus um, at the second segment. But um, pray for them. You know, And I'm sure that that weighed in as part of the bishop's decision, that he has to— you got to kind of train the trainers, and you got to protect the trainers. You know, these are the guys that are going to go in the front lines, uh, and and there's so 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 few of them these days compared to, to 30 years ago. So, you know, pray for them. They definitely need your prayers because when when people are on their deathbed, you know, it, I know that priests are still making runs to nursing homes and so forth, mm. and so yeah. they're vulnerable. Clearly, yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, <clears throat> I think too, Billy, I was talking with uh, our good friend Jez Ford uh, earlier this week. <clears throat> and Jez mentioned to me about that with not being able to receive the Eucharist, that there was a period of time where St. Teresa, <clears throat> sorry, uh, St. Teresa of Avila uh, did not receive the Eucharist uh, because she was um, secluded or something for a period of, of some months uh, where the priest wouldn't give her the Eucharist uh, or couldn't give her the Eucharist. And uh, he mentioned that to me, and he said, but at, at around the same time, Henry VIII, right, who was defender of the faith in England, received the Eucharist every day. And, you know, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to imagine where each person is right now. Sure. Sure. <laughs> the great saint and uh, Henry VIII, who killed hundreds of thousands of Catholics, were murdered uh, because of him. Um, and that's the reason I, I, I would say that. It's not for certain. But, um, you know. This is like a period of fasting, I think, for many Catholics. There's suffering that goes along with not being able to receive the Eucharist. Uh, I think if we look at it as a period of fasting, um, it can be good for us, good for our spirit, our spirit and uh, and our soul to look at it that way. It's it's a, a trustful surrender to divine providence. Ultimately, you know, right, it's right. it's um, being mindful, living in the present, and, and not projecting our anxieties from the past or the future. So, with that, we're gonna actually. Uh, I guess go to break and we're going to take two minutes and then we're going to come back. We'll talk a little bit about some of the things going on in the world. We asked people all over America, what have you done for your marriage today? Boy, I gave a huge hug this morning, like a really big squeeze that lasted forever. Great kiss. Those things are really important. <laughs> she got a really short haircut that she hated, and I wrote her a note and put it up on the mirror saying that she was a cute girl with cute hair. What have I done for my marriage today? We've actually organized a date night tonight. What have I done for my marriage today? Wow, that is a great question. Uh, I took the baby while she worked. I got up with the baby while he slept. Yeah. <laughs> today, I sent an email to my husband 
And I said, you rock. Well, I've done today what I usually do, and that is obey. I listened to my wife uh, when we talked on the telephone today. She really likes it when I listen. What have you done for your marriage today? Little things can make a big difference. For ideas, go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Communication Campaign. It started like it does for many people. Question my faith and question authority. And I feel that the reason why I left was the, the draw of the world. The world was pulling me away. Some people would say, you know, Satan would, you know, Satan was working on me. He did not want me in church. He wanted me to be desperate. He wanted me to have uh, the thoughts of suicide. I started to realize that a lot of the things that I experienced in my life were a result of my rebellion against God and against authority. Coming back to the church is the first step in healing from all of the hurts of the world. I went from being desperate and in despair to finding hope and encouragement for, for the future. I'm on God's team. I, I know who I belong to and I know where I'm going and there's nothing that can separate me from God's love. Take another look at the Catholic Church. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Well, welcome back, my brothers. This is Bill Maher, and I'm here with my co-host, George Rose, si- sitting six feet away from me. I'm, I'm sort of thinking that maybe I smell or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, we just uh, we just uh, talked about the 14 holy helpers, the, the plague saints uh, that were invoked uh, by our forefathers and foremothers, if you will. Yes. And uh, so. We, and by we, us today. And by us today, indeed. We, we, we kind of, we look at them, given, we're trying to, to focus on the month with each saint that we come up. So we're kind of, we're focusing on it being St. George and the 14 Holler Helpers, because he is April 23rd. And the 13, because he's one of the 14. That's right. right? And, and his 13 other compadres. I know math isn't your strong suit, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to announce that. <laughs> so anyway, so a lot of things going on in the world. I mean, we, we like to take the second segment and talk a little bit about well, the but world. Before but we before do we that, do that, we do have... Our buddy Carmen. We have a song uh, that our, our good friend Carmen Batanti and his uh, Carmen. That's Carmen is his nickname. It's Doug is his is Carmen's name. So the, the dogs. The dogs. Yeah, and his brother Fred wrote a song uh, a couple of months ago, and and he sent it to me, and I, I told him we would play it on the air. It's called Your Will, and you may know um, Carmen and and uh, Fred from playing with. Uh, Jez, uh, they didn't play this year, but they played probably for the last five or six years at the uh, Catholic Member Jesus Christ Conference. And they wrote a song, an original song called Your Will. So we'll, we'll listen to it right now.
Yeah, stuff. what do you think, Billy? Oh, it's good stuff. Do we have a new theme song for the uh, show now? <laughs> I, you know, it's the uh, divine doctor, right? God, God healing our pasts and 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 bringing us forward. And that is a beautiful. divinely inspired song. Really yeah. beautiful. It yeah, really it's is. a great rock and roll song and uh, written by great guys. And I think this is the first time it's been played on on the air on the radio. So we we're, we're privileged to be allowed to do that uh, for for these. These great guys. No doubt about it. And it's timely, too. It's that, it's that message of healing that we need so much, you know, in this time of this COVID crisis, if you will. Yeah. You know, there's so many things that we could do. I mean, you turn the news on, everything's so negative. Mm. You know, you, you can't even get away from it if you wanted to. I mean, it, it, I think the only ones benefiting from this crisis is the media and the, you know, grocery uh, consortiums of the world. <laughs> yeah, right now, yeah. Making, you know, uh, having everyone's attention. But again, you know, Carmen and his, his brother, beloved brother, actually bring us and remind us to what it's really all about in that wonderful song. So thank you, guys. And uh, big shout out to the bo- to yeah, the guys. Thank to the, you to the dogs bringing it home. So George, so what's going on uh, on your side of things? Uh, I mean, you're you're dealing with this just like everyone else's. What's how is George handling this crisis? Uh, well, as you know, Bill, I have an underlying condition, lung cancer, so I've been uh, trying to be uh, very careful. I mean, I've just been really at home for the last, uh, you know, few weeks. I was, believe it or not, um, the first week when everything started happening, I was down at spring training for the Yankees, and I was in the Yankees minor league complex on uh, Wednesday. It was like March 11th or 12th, and uh, I think it was the 11th, and then... Uh, the following day, they announced that a Yankee minor leaguer, you know, was the first professional baseball player, uh, had the coronavirus. Mm. And then another one a day or two later. And, and all the minor league players were quarantined in a hotel for two weeks. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
Brian Cashman was delivering water and food uh, every day <laughs> to uh, you, the you know, hotel. The, there's a Yankees are a great organization. I mean, how they rallied around you, even your situation. Um, it's it's a uh, it's a testimony to how a company can run well. You always hear negative things about certain companies and so forth. You know, when, certainly when Steinbrenner was there, the, the media focused on on the fact that he was, you know, he was a powerful personality. But behind it all, there's a great organization there, isn't there? Oh, yeah. And uh, a bunch of the minor leaguers wrote nice notes back to the Yankees. There was an article in the New York Post about uh, how incredibly well they felt treated by the Yankees during that time uh, and how uh, special it was. They went, went above and beyond. I mean, Brian Cashman, some of the minor league directors as well, were there every day. Uh, bringing water and food and uh, and cash is very you know he's a real heart for charity uh, and he's always uh, does the right thing um, and and but the Yankee that ethos ethos starts at the top you know it's uh, it starts with the Steinbrenner family they're a great family they do so many charitable endeavors yeah. and, and that was never that was never really advertised you know that, that how much they did as a family. Uh, yeah, and it the boss. With, yeah, with the it boss started himself. with the boss himself, yeah. you know, always uh, behind the scenes. He never wanted people to know about it. He didn't want people to know that he was nice <laughs> <laughs> underneath it all, you know? <laughs> well, it's true. Uh, there's, a, you know, there's a lot of tough times with so many companies right now, but there's a lot of uh, great companies stepping up. So, you know, we, we want to we highlight some of the positives as well because it seems like all we do is hear about the negatives out there. Um, you know, I was on with uh, our producer here um, maybe a week ago. I don't know. We talked about some of the things you can do to try to, you know, boost immunity and so forth. And, there, I mean, there's a lot of people capitalizing on all this stuff right now. And, and, and some, of the, some of the lessons are, are, are pretty obvious. You know, you want to you wanna keep high levels of vitamin C in your system, obviously. You know, vitamin C helps ward off infection and, mm. and infectious disease, and we don't produce it, you know? Unlike, so you recommend we take vitamin How much should you take in a day, Billy? Like 1,000 milligrams or well, how much? The, the, the recommendation is always powdered vitamin C because you can get to the levels you need to really get to without fillers and so forth. So, you know, there's a, a method you can look up on the Internet. It's called bowel tolerance uh, levels of vitamin C. And what you're basically doing is you're taking like a teaspoon, which is a few grams, a vitamin C, and you take that with water and you drink it. Then if you don't go to the bathroom in a half an hour, you do it again. And you keep repeating this until you have a loose stool. And then at that point, you realize, well, what your dosage is, what your body needs. And then you back it down, and then that's your daily dosage. And ironically, when you get sick, you'll notice that you can push that level much higher. Hmm. So it might be that, you know, an average person, I don't know, is a tablespoon or two or a teaspoon or two, and that's their daily level. But again, you know, we were designed to get vitamin C from our environment, from fruit, from berries. And, you know, let's be honest, you know, with the modern American diet, we're not doing that. Uh, so we got to supplement it, certainly in a time like this, because vitamin C is, is so effective. And I, I even heard rumors that the New York City hospitals was dosing IV vitamin C with great effect, uh, mm. 1,500 milligrams. Now, 1,500 milligrams IV is... A much higher dose taken orally, obviously, to get it to process through your body and actually get into the bloodstream. So vitamin yeah, C. Yeah, that's a lot. We actually have a, a bottle at home. I think it's a thousand milligram capsules. Yep. Uh, which, you know, fifteen hundred through an IV is uh, one and a half of those. That, that's a lot. It is. It is. A few other things you could do. But I, I guess know. it can't really hurt. Vitamin C can't really hurt you, though, right? Can you overdose on yeah, vitamin you could, C? You, you could. You could get. You'll have a bowel movement. 
you know, <laughs> bowel movement. So the body has a mechanism to say enough. That's a low threshold <laughs> penalty. <laughs> but but I'm, what I'm trying to say, there's a positive there. <laughs> yeah. Some of us enjoy those, Billy, <laughs> well, more I than others. That. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, George, going through what you went through with the, with the cancer, and you're doing phenomenal now. There's some other Thanks things Thanks to you, you brother. No, no, no. The turkey tail mushroom, right? We love turkey tail yep. mushroom. Could, yep. could triple and even quadruple your natural killer cells, which are those uh, macrophages in your body and cells in your body that actually attack viruses and bacteria and so forth, or cancer cells. Um, a couple blueberries a day. Making blueberries as part of your shakes are really huge. Mm-hmm. And then we know that, you know, with flu and things like that, taking zinc lozenges can be very helpful because zinc on contact can kill viruses. Mm. Problem is getting it into the cells. So there's a little hack uh, that I kind of uh, discovered. Uh, there was a study published in 2010 talked about how zinc is so incredibly effective at killing coronaviruses. Mm. Um, problem is, again, getting into the cell because what a coronavirus will do is it'll hijack your cell, it'll pass the, through the cell membrane, and it'll start tricking a cell to reproducing it until it kills the cell. Mm. So how do you get it into the cell, zinc into the cell? Well, there was a study published in 2014 that looked at two phytochemicals, quercetin, which is a phytochemical found in the skin of apples, and it's found in onions and so forth. And you could supplement it if you wanted to. Um, and Meaning it, you could buy a supplement could, called quercetin. Yeah, yeah, quercetin. It acts as a ferry for zinc in this 2014 study, passing, helping it pass the cell membrane and get into the cell where you need it. Another uh, phytochemical is the one found in green tea, uh, HDC. But would you then take quercetin together with a zinc? You could. Now, the problem with zinc uh, tablets is anything more than 30 milligrams is going to probably upset your stomach. So I always, I'm always i a big believer in getting it natural food. So my super shake, you know, mm-hmm. what I always love to do, do this d- every day, is you get, you get one of those big $13 bags of frozen blueberries because, you know, they'll right. last you a long time. Yep. You kind of get a, a cup's worth of those into your little Nutra uh, uh, blender or Vitamix or whatever. You have the a ninja. ninja. I have a ninja. And that acts as your ice, right? And that's giving you the, the phytochemicals that help support the natural killer cells. Then you throw in like things like pumpkin seeds or something. Pumpkin seeds are super rich in zinc. So that's wow. a bioabsorbable form of zinc. And then, whoa, how do you get your quercetin? Well, you cut your apple up, right? And you keep your skins in there. And so you're kind of you're hacking these, um, these fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds for, for the prevalent phytochemicals in there, in this case, for, for treating coronavirus. And, of course, you could throw in any other fruit or vegetable you want to taste and there Mm. you go it's a simple way of dosing zinc that's going to be absorbed well in your body getting the quercetin you need to help deliver that into cells now is that combination proven in clinical studies to help no but you know what how can it hurt you (laughs) You yeah sure at this point sure really we want to stay healthy so that you can prevent getting it but if you do get it you know what you can handle it and you could be at that 80 percent or above threshold that does not have to require medical attention, you know, or doesn't, you don't want to be the one that's on a ventilator. Certainly if you have uh, comorbidities, other risk factors, like I heard diabetics are struggling with this. Uh, that's, a, mm. that's a comorbidity. The elderly struggle with this. Anyone with any lung condition like emphysema or asthma, mm. they tend to struggle with this. So, mm. so, so, you know, be smart, you know, certainly listen to your government. You don't want to get in trouble. If you have a party for more than 10 people, you're going to get busted. We saw in Lakewood how there was 
they were partying and they all, a bunch of them got arrested for that. You don't want to do that. And it's, and it's things like that as to why Lakewood's exploding with infection cases. Is Lake, Lakewood, New Jersey. Yeah, it's exploding yeah. with infection cases. So you want to, you know, for the sake of other people, you know, do, do what you can. Play your part, you know, but don't lose your mind. If you watch the, new, the news media, you're going to lose your mind. Yeah. So, don't, so yeah. don't, you know, don't necessarily go crazy with this, uh, you know. Take this as an opportunity to pray, you know, to get closer to God, you know, mm. to be joyful. Divine Mercy Chapel, it's uh, the Pope was mentioning uh, plenary indulgence associated with Divine Mercy Chaplets for those that are suffering. So do that. Take seven minutes. You know, what a great way to spend seven five, minutes. Five for me. Oh, well, you, you're the express <laughs> prayer. My wife yeah. yells at me if I, if I, if I pray fast. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, take advantage of these, these positive moments and, 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 and reconnect and, and just don't lose your mind. Bill Maher's biohacks and spiritual hacks. You get Bio it all here, hacks. folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, you know, that kind of occupies um, really every, the news everywhere. So we, we did want to at least touch on that a little bit. Yeah, that's great. The coronavirus. So what we're going to do is we're going to break, guys, and we're going to come back uh, with uh, a we great have a guest. We have yes. a great guest, Tom Verducci, uh, phenomenal uh, sports writer and broadcast sports broadcaster. Um, and we're going to introduce uh, him in just a couple minutes. Wonderful. We'll see you guys in a couple. This is our late father, Andrew Small, National Director of the Pontifical Mission Societies in the United States. A Lenten Reflection Some say that we're no deeper than what's carved into us It's love with all its labors that merits such a fuss But I would add a little sad It's only half the cup What also makes us deeper Is what we've given up It's a lesson from the missions to you by the Pontifical Mission Societies. To learn more about becoming a missionary right where you are, visit our website at onefamilyandmission.org. Remember, if you're baptized, you're a missionary. Through prayer and sacrifice in word and witness, we're all part of this one family in mission. Here is Mother Angelica speaking about Catholic Radio. There's six billion people, and we got to reach them all. It's people like you, radio stations like your own. And I hope sincerely that people will support you because we need Catholic radio. We need Catholic television. And if we don't have it, we shall answer to God for that because we are bound by our baptism to spread the good word. We're bound by that. Won't you help us spread the good word by praying for us and by making a tax-deductible gift payable to Domestic Church Media? P.O. Box 7509, Trenton, 08628. Or by going to our website, wfjs.org, and making a secure online donation using your Visa or MasterCard. Please contact us today. God love you. We need Catholic Radio. We are bound by our baptism to spread the good word. Well, welcome back, my brothers. This is Bill Marr. I'm here with my co-host, George Rose, and we have a special guest on the other line, uh, Tom Verducci. Tom, how are you? I am well. How are you? Hey, Tom, it's George. Thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show today. You got it. My pleasure. This is great. And uh, and and so you guys out there, if you don't mind, Tom, I'm going to introduce you a little bit. Um, and 
the guys out there who are baseball fans certainly know who Tom Verducci is. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm going to read you a couple of things from the, the Fox Sports website on Tom's bio. And, and sorry, I'm going to embarrass you a little bit probably, Tom. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but uh, you've been with uh, the Fox Sports uh, Major League Baseball uh, Network since 2012. Uh, you've been a reporter uh, for the postseason since 2016. And, you know, Tom is one of, he's only one of a few national MLB analysts to not have played professionally. Uh, he's a four-time Emmy Award winner and has covered the sport for more than 30 years in a variety of roles ranging from beat writer to columnist, feature writer, author, reporter, studio analyst, and game analyst. Uh, Tom is a three-time winner of the National Sports Media Association's National Sports Writer of the Year Award and was elected to the the NSMA Hall of Fame uh, just this year. And you might uh, have seen Tom as well in the booth uh, during Fox's uh, All-Star Game and World Series in in 2014 and 15 with Harold Reynolds and and Joe Buck. Sure. Um, He is also, first and foremost, I always think of you, Tom, as a, as a sports writer, and you're the senior baseball writer at Sports Illustrated. Uh, before that, you were a, um, you started your career, I think, with Newsday, right, As a for 10 years as a baseball writer for Newsday? And yeah, I actually had one year down in Florida <clears throat> working for Coco Today newspaper, and then went to Newsday covering the New York baseball team. Yeah, I'm from Long Island, and um, uh, Newsday is always close to my heart. It, do, did you, Dave Lennon, is, I think, is now uh, a writer there. Or, well, actually, is Dave still at Newsday? Yes, he is. <laughs> he yep. is, right? Um, and so maybe I think he probably succeeded your previous role uh, in what he's doing now. Yeah, it was interesting. I uh, My first job out of college, actually, was as an intern at Newsday. And uh, I went down and worked in Florida for a year, and then they called me back. So um, I, I, if I had my choice of any sport to cover, it would be baseball. It's always been my favorite sport. And I was lucky enough that when I got the Newsday, one of the beats uh, opened up covering baseball, the Yankees and the Mets. And, um, and from there on, that's when I went to SI after that. But, yeah, I kind of did a lot of my legwork in terms of training, learning the business at Newsday. What, what an amazing environment. You can't get any better than the, the Yankees and the Mets, my gosh. And you're, you're a Jersey guy originally, are you not? I am, and I like to tell people, and this is back in the day, you know, of George Steinbrenner Yankees, um, <laughs> without cell phones, of course. Yeah. Um, and I tell people that's like the equivalent of going to Camp Lejeune. If, you're going, if you make it through boot camp at Camp Lejeune as a Marine, you'll be okay. <laughs> that's what it was like for me starting out on the Yankees beat. In the tabloid wars in New York, um, and again, trying to do that job without cell phones. And, uh, yeah, it, it was a great training ground, though. The competition was and is extremely fierce. You had to be on your toes. I was against, up against people who were way more experienced than me. So, listen, I learned from my mistakes like a lot of people do. Uh, but I was thankful that I was challenged so early in my career. And, you know, the bar was set pretty high, you know, to compete in that market, you know, there was no let up. You, you had mm. to compete every single day. And actually, I was thankful that I did have that as a foundation. It's funny. Um, 
you say uh, the world before cell phones. There, there are people on the other end of, of this uh, signal that have no idea what that world is. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I remember, I remember you were a stud if your company gave you a prepaid calling card. <laughs> and then you had to explain to people, what did you have to do with a prepaid calling card? And the worst thing was the investment of time where you're hitting these keys on a freezing day in the streets of New York City and you hit the wrong key and you got to start the whole darn thing over again. Oh, gosh, again. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember those days, yeah, trying to find pay phones. And, you know, for me, covering the Yankees back then without cell phones, you know, obviously you were stuck to a landline. So, you know, you needed a lot of times you really needed George Steinbrenner. And you were always at his mercy of if and when he would call you back. Um, so as far as, you know, running to do any errands or getting anything done, you couldn't, you were captive to your phone to see if he Mm. called you back because a lot of the competition on the Yankee beat back then was hearing from the boss. Yeah. If you had that relationship, you could definitely get a scoop, right? (laughs) That's right. But you know, he was smart enough to kind of, as he did with his own employees, kind of divide and conquer among the people covering the team. He wasn't parsing out one story to one outlet consistently mm. and keep you on your toes so in, in those early days um who, who did you draw to I, I i assume you you developed some relationships with some of the players and some of the people in the organizations was there anyone that you got close to yeah i mean it's interesting when you're covering a team that you walk right up to the line of actually being friends with somebody you know my business is built a lot on trust right? Uh, people have to trust you. You need to trust them that they're credible sources of information. But you don't want to go so far as to have a, a really close friendship with somebody because that compromises your objectivity. So uh, it, like a lot of businesses, though, it, you know, we're all humans. We're not robots. and You tend to connect more with some people than others just based on commonalities or interests. Um, so back in the day, I guess, starting out for me, um, Don Mattingly was oh. one of those guys. Oh. Uh, first of all, <laughs> he was one of the best players in the game. Uh, but I, I found him, you know, equivalent to his talent to be very grounded and very down to earth and humble. And mm. I really appreciated that. And that's something that I connected to. He certainly didn't act like the best player in the game. Um, so for me, he was someone that was very interesting to be around and, and, uh, as far as just a personal connection, I felt like that really did happen. Mid- Midwestern values. Yeah, that's really cool yeah, to hear. There you go. That's really cool to hear, Tom. And kind of the reason we have you on the show today is you and I saw each other down at the winter meetings back in December, and we were talking. And I know you you live locally. I think in you know near in, in Princeton or Belmead, right? And right. Um, we were talking about Mike Ford, the you know phenom last year for the Yankees, uh, who grew up in. Del Mead, and I think he went to the Hun School and then graduated from Princeton uh, University. And he kind of shot onto the scene last year with the Yankees. He was a non-roster invitee in spring training, and then he ended up hitting 12 home runs uh, and uh, was a legitimate uh, left-handed power threat, another left-handed first baseman for the Yankees. And and I mentioned that to you that he's a yeah yeah he's a local guy and he said, believe it or not, I was his sixth grade CCD teacher. <laughs> Did I get yeah, that story not right? Not a baseball coach in little league. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you were keeping him grounded so he could do this. <laughs> and and now yeah, you... it was interesting that uh, I have two sons and and uh, one of them was in that CCD class, so we had a group of uh, I think it was all boys. You know, like a dozen, so maybe ten boys, and uh, we'd have these classes over at the house. 
Um, and, you know, as kids are at that age, they're rambunctious. They're, you know, they're eager to go out and do their things on the playground or ball fields or whatever. So you know, keeping them in line was, was a lot of work. But it was a great group of kids. Uh, if they acted up, I would give them a timeout in the laundry room. That was the way I handled it. Uh, but we had a lot of fun, and, and Mike was a really good kid. His parents are great people. So, um, yeah, I enjoyed doing that with that group of kids. You know, it's funny, just a, an offhanded conversation like that, because I, I didn't even – well, actually, I did know you were Catholic because I was reading the Magnificat. Uh, one morning last year, and you had written a reflection that appeared uh, uh, in, in one of the uh, for, for one of the daily masses. There's always a reflection on on the uh, the gospel for that day, and it was I was like, wow, Tom Verducci, Sports Illustrated to the Magnificat. What? <laughs> and well, that was interesting. It was an interesting story because I actually wrote that at the request of uh, the pastor, the Monsignor at my parish. Mm-hmm. I said, sure, I can provide something. He was putting together a, a Lenten, you know, reflection, and I was happy to uh, contribute to that. I had no idea, though, that it would then be passed on to the Magnificat. <laughs> I, wound up getting, I wound up getting a lot of uh, a lot of feedback on that. It was like I wrote a big story for Sports Illustrated, so it was it was good to know that a lot of people actually read it a lot more than I originally thought when I sat down to, to write it. But yeah, it'd be interesting to know with the uh, the circulation of the Magnificat is uh, th- there's pr- there's probably way more many people than any of us care. realize that read it every day. I think so. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. And Tom, I guess maybe, you know we always like to ask our our guests when when they come on and and you know first it's it's awesome that you teach CCD and um, and that you're active in your parish. Uh, you know is is really good to hear and. Um, I think you went to Seton Hall Prep, if I'm not mistaken, um, Catholic uh, high school, right? And That's right. How, how did you, um, you grew up as a Catholic? Did your parents pass the faith on to you? What was your faith like at home growing up? And, and how did you, you know, how did all that work? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, my, my dad actually was a teacher and a coach at Seton Hall Prep. So hmm. I grew up as a young child that I like to tell people that, my heroes in terms of the sporting world growing up were not in the NFL or MLB. Uh, they were playing baseball or basketball or football for Seton Hall prep. I looked up to the high school athletes wow. because uh, those were the guys that my dad were coaching. So uh, I was around the school. A lot of the kid on Saturdays would be hanging out with my dad at practices and such. Um, so I got an intro- really a young introduction introduction to the Catholic education and everything that that means. Mm. And uh, my dad started coaching and teaching at Seton Hall Prep in 1955. So he went wow. way back. Mm. And a lot of it, it was really a, a close-knit family at Seton Hall Prep, as you find with a lot of Catholic institutions so, that, you know, a lot of sons of, of former prep uh, attendees also attended the school. And, you know, he was teaching their sons or coaching their sons. So, so he's like Coach uh, Bob. He's like Coach Bob Hurley. And, of course, um, you know, masses and celebrations were a part of the academic world when you go to a Catholic high school like that. So um, mm. that certainly um, reinforced everything that I'd learned growing up. But, um, yeah, I think it was mostly through my parents. Uh, I was one and, and one of eight children that my parents had. So we alone had our own congregation, so to speak, in our own house. I know, hey, I know hey, that world. <laughs> you know what? My um, co-host here, Bill Moore, he has eight kids too, believe it or not. 
It, it is in these times. It is a petri dish unto itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, you know, you say that especially today, and people are like, "Hey, oh my goodness!" Uh, you know, now true. if you're one of three or four, you're a big family. But uh, back then, it wasn't that unusual. I mean, it was on the more unusual side in larger families. But um, I loved it. Of course, it was the only thing that I knew. But we, I had, do have four sisters, three brothers, so it's split evenly, wow. four and four. Wow. Um, yeah. But there was always someone around to, to play with or, you know, do something. And uh, there was always noise and commotion and energy. And, you know, there were no quiet moments. But I, I like that. I like being part of a big family. Well, that's the, the beauty of uh, a lockdown, uh, as I, I'm in central Jersey right now, is there's, there's a lot of activities. There's a lot of things going on regardless. We said before you came on, Billy's uh, family, they're a board game family, so even if half of them don't want to play, they still have more than enough. <laughs> there you go. I could definitely relate to that and still am. <laughs> so what does is, what is a, a sports writer do with no sports? What, what projects are you working on right now? Yeah, you know, it's interesting that the work is different, but I, it, it hasn't let up at all. I mean, there's stories to pursue, um, feature stories for Sports Illustrated, um, getting involved in a lot more video stuff. I basically set up a, a mini studio in my basement where I can, you know, create some video montages or just news events or whatever it might be, um, a Q&A with a host. I do that for both Sports Illustrated and MLB Network. Um I have a book project that I'm working on, um, you know, just in terms of cranking out some features uh, that obviously don't pertain to games because there's none being played, but there's still many good <laughs> stories to be written out there around the sports world. Uh, so it's a different work. I'm someone that's really used to traveling a lot when the baseball season starts. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm on the road a lot during the season. I, I game essentially every Saturday on Fox, and that could be everywhere. Uh, a game or two during the week at MLB Network, and that could be anywhere. Mm. Uh, so it's different for me because I'm used to doing my job uh, traveling a lot. So um, I do work in the off seasons a lot, and in between travel at home during the season, I don't really work out of an office. So it just become a hundred percent work at home uh, job, which is very different. I like being out and about. I like being around um, people, especially people in baseball that I know. So I do miss that side of it. But I can tell you that the, the work never stops, and I'm lucky actually to have a job where, you know, you can do things uh, remotely uh, that still pertain to the, the nuts and bolts of the job. Well, you could probably uh, make phone calls now and interview people, uh, and they have a tougher time saying they're busy, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's true but that works both ways too because everybody knows they can get me now because i'm not traveling somewhere <laughs> you know moving target is hard to hit and yeah. now i'm not moving yeah we're one of the beneficiaries yeah. of that today. <laughs> that's exactly right <laughs> we'll, we'll shamelessly jump all over that yeah hey tom what um what is your pat what parish do you belong to um in uh is it in Princeton? Is that where your parish is? It's actually in Skillman, New Jersey. It's St. Charles, Borromeo. Gotcha, um, gotcha. Yeah, we have a great group. Uh, our, our Monsignor, Gregory Malovitz, does a great job. Um, it's a very active parish. Mm. Um, so uh, it's, it's also very convenient for me. It's only about four or five minutes from my house. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's awesome. And 
Do you, uh, I'm assuming with your schedule these days, you don't teach CCD anymore, right? <laughs> with the kids growing up no, as well? No, I don't. Yeah. Um, I kind of miss those days. You know, I mentioned that my dad is a teacher and a coach. Uh, one of my older brothers is and has been uh, a coach in the NFL and college football for a long time, as long as he's been you know, working in the adult world. Hmm. Uh, another brother I have is an attorney who's also done a lot of coaching in high school football. So I have an uncle who is a coach and a teacher. I have a sister who is a teacher. So I really come from a family of teachers. And mm. I think if I didn't get into the line of work that I did, which is what I wanted, always wanted to do, by the way, um, and, and I'm lucky to be able to do that. But if there was a second fallback option for me, it definitely would have involved teaching and coaching because I really enjoy those. Mm. I used to be a teacher as well. It was my first job out of college. I was an English teacher for three years. It's uh, it's great. Being a teacher, is it's different every day. You're in front of um, a bunch of kids, and, and it's always fun. And, and you're like a salesman trying to sell things that they don't always want. <laughs> and I'm sure CCD yeah, was like that in some ways, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, um, but you also get energized by their energy. You mm. know, you call the youth of America and I just, you know, listen, they're learning, so they don't know what they don't know. But um, just the kind of passion and energy that they bring, I think, as you age, I think it's important to be around uh, youth. Um, just I, last year, I was lucky enough to go back to Penn State and give the commencement address. That was my, that's where I went to school, Penn State. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, it was inspiring there just seeing, you know, it, there at the Bryce Jordan Center, the big arena, just to see it fold with these people starting out uh, at that stage in life and just kind of the optimism and the energy that they have. And, and, uh, and I was thinking, I, I, can't lie to you. I was thinking at that time, man, what a what a thrill it must be to be a teacher because you get this every year. You know that group mm. graduates, but somebody else comes in that's a freshman and smiling and eager, and their lives can be shaped. And I know it's true because it's. it's I saw my dad do this every day. But if people sat down and and they made a list of the five people who most influenced them, other than people in your immediate family, there's a pretty darn good chance that there's going to be a teacher and or a coach on your list. So um, mm. I've always been cognizant of the fact that um, teachers do an incredible job and, and they really do shape lives. Mm. And Tom, with the Catholic faith, like in, in your life, uh, you know, for for me at one point in my, my late 20s, I, I really kind of hit bottom personally. And uh, and I'd grown away from my faith for a long time and, and came back to it. And thank God it was there, those seeds that have been planted by my parents and teachers, as you said, and the Catholic schools I went to over the years, uh, began to sprout again. Is there, in your life, was there a period where you ever, um, you know, became, had like a glory story where you came back or was you just always, was it always kind of there and you always practice it and it's always been part of your life? No, I think for me, it's always kind of been there. I, I think there's probably a point, at least in my life, when you, you're starting out and you're single and you're eager to establish yourself professionally, um, or maybe your priorities change a little bit and you're so focused on you know, trying to prove yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you stop being a student, become a quote-unquote working adult. Um, at least for me, I felt like that took a lot of focus from me, it didn't mean that I they really forgot about uh, my faith, but um, just in terms of priorities, probably things changed at that point in my life, but mm. not drastically so. And I and I think when you 
you start having children, for me especially, uh, then you start looking at your faith all anew, going back to the CCD teaching, but even just with your own kids and not being a religious education instructor, I, I think you start, you know, kind of going back to basics and, and you know, understanding again what was important um, when you were growing up and, and kind of seeing things with fresh eyes. So, you know, I've heard people make this comparison that, you know, being a baseball fan is kind of like that. A lot of people following baseball, you know, they – they tend to go away from it. Most people, at least traditionally, were introduced to their first team sport, um, you know, around six or seven years old. And generally, that's baseball, right? You go out and play t-ball, and you find out what it's like to be on a team with your friends. And um, so baseball is kind of the pathway into sports for a lot of people. And then a lot of people, for whatever reason, kind of move away from baseball. Maybe the game's not fast enough. But then when you start having kids, you come back to baseball because, mm. again, it's that, that entry for a lot of youth. And I think in some ways the faith can be that way as well. You know, you get busy, you move on to other things. But once you have children, I think it really grounds you in terms of what's really important. You know, we all want, when we become parents, the absolute best mm. for our children, right? We'll do anything for them. Yeah. And that always, to me, you know, takes, you know, three pathways, body, mind, and soul. Mm. And, and taking care of the soul certainly is a big part of that. So I think... At least for me, just having children kind of kind of having children reinforces your faith. Yeah, you um, know it's it's incredible to hear you say that because I, I think I had mentioned you. We had Mark Teixeira. He spoke at uh, the Catholic Men for Jesus Christ conference, which we got in just under the wire on February 29th. Uh, it was at St. Mary's in Middletown. It's the the men's conference for the Diocese of Trenton, and uh, he said the exact same thing. He said, I, "I you know I was a Christian. I was Catholic. I believed in God." Uh, but he said, really, when my son was born, changed everything. Yeah. He said, I did whatever I want. I mean, I had a job. I was a baseball player and was responsible, showed up for work and all that. But um, I did whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. <laughs> and then that little guy came into the world, and uh, it changed everything. And I really became a lot more uh, uh, self-sacrificing and, and more aware of others and, and more compassionate and uh, it's so awesome to hear you say that, Tom. And believe it or not, this has flown by. We're uh, we're coming to the we're end at, of the yeah, show right the now. End, yeah. We 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 just want to thank you for for spending your morning with us, uh, afternoon with us. This is aired in the afternoon. And uh, my gosh, you you be safe uh, amid this virus, and uh, we'll be praying for you. And we ask for your prayers as well. You got it. Same to you guys. Make sure you take care of yourselves and your families, and stay safe. Thanks so much, Tom. God bless. Take care. All right, guys, you be safe out there as you drive, you know, to the supermarket, this case, uh, not coming home from work, but driving to the supermarket or doing whatever you got to do. You take care. God bless. And we will see you in a month.